I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello once again, my fellow guard dogs. It's time for another installment of the Guardians of Grace podcast. I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad that you're here. We love that you turn in each time. You are, as far as Bill and I are concerned, you are the love that we live by. Everything we do each day and our purpose for each day is for you. We want you to be set free set free from the bondages that have developed in the modern day Christian community. Somehow we bludgeon each other, we judge each other harshly, and we do very little building up in the community itself. The Christian community itself is dangerous to be in, and it's not full of joy like it should be either. There's too much of a feeling of being condemned. That's actually what put Freud in business. The Christians there were being so condemned through the pulpit that they were going insane because they could not handle the pressure that they put on themselves to live an exemplary Christian life and they were put in mental institutions because of them. It's a shame that Freud threw the baby out with the bathwater because he should have just gotten rid of that legalism that is so prevalent in modern day Christianity or in the Christianity of his day. But you have to realize Bill and I wake up single-minded in focus, in focus on one goal, and that is freedom. Freedom to be the best Christian you can be. Freedom to blossom and have a walk each day that you can hold your head high and say, Jesus did a lot of good through me. He was wise, he was kind, he was loving, he gave good advice through me, he was helpful, he physically got out there and helped his brother or sister in the Lord. We want that for you here at Guardians of Grace. I just want you to know how bad Bill and I desire for 
you to be filled with the Spirit and with the joy of the Lord, which the joy of the Lord is your strength. And expressing Jesus right through your mortal body is the joy of the Lord. It is literally joy. It's described as heaven itself. It says in Romans 14, 17 that the the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Three sensations that you feel during the course of a day three sensations that are caused by the Spirit of God in you, the Spirit which has the ministry of righteousness. The Spirit is supposed to be telling you when the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or your own guilty conscience that came from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil or even the law has made you feel bad about yourself. The Spirit of God ministers to you that you are righteous in God's eyes. And you don't have to be like the people who lived in the same days that Freud lived, who just were told they're not measuring up, they're not doing a job well enough to please the Lord and they kept trying and trying and trying to please the Lord when in fact he made a new covenant and his son had to die and be buried and raised again to the third heaven to inaugurate this new covenant by which he would come down in his spirit and live the Christian life for you and you would always be pleasing in God's sight. He would always be pleased with you. Let me repeat that again. He would always be pleased with you. One more time. Always pleased with you. You always please him because he made a new covenant by which he would remember your sins and lawless deeds no more and you would always be pleasing to God. In other words, let let me give this example. In the Old Testament, back in Genesis, we see our brother Abraham. Abraham at 76 was approached by the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord took him out of the tent that he was in and the word of the Lord pointed him to look at the stars in heaven and he says you'll have more descendants than these stars and Abraham just said really is this really going to happen I don't even have an heir except this guy who works for me I'm going to call him my heir that was at age 76. At age 89, Sarah came to Abraham and said, hey, God's not going to pull this off, so why don't you have sex with 
my maid and will produce a child who can be an heir to receive all that you have, even though God had said he would give Abraham an heir. And between the time he was 76 and the time he was 89, he literally pimped his wife to the king and said, she's my sister. You can do what you want with her. If God had not intervened on Sarah's behalf, the king would have had his way with her. It would all be Abraham's fault because it was Abraham's idea to tell the king such a thing. At 99 years old, Abraham was approached again by the word of the Lord, who is Christ, and the word of the Lord told him, next year at this time, you're going to produce a baby. And you know what happened? Him and Sarah fell on their face and laughed at God. They laughed at him right in the face. They laughed at him, showing no belief whatsoever. But like I was saying, God made a new covenant with us. And in that new covenant, he would remember our sins and lawless deeds no more. And I'll show you an example of that in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse, let's say, 17. In verse 17, it says, As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. And now it goes on to talk about Abraham, this guy that we just went over the last 38 years of his life, and he was a complete Yahoo. And remember, we're saying that this is the new covenant in which our sins and lawless deeds he remembers no more. Let's see if that isn't true when God gives you the account here in Romans 4 about what he thinks or saw in Abraham. He says, I've made you a father of many, many nations. God, who gives life to the dead and causes things that do not exist as though they existed. He calls things that aren't really there as if they were really there. He calls things that do not exist as though he existed. That's what it says right before it describes Abraham. Because it's going to go on to say, in hope against hope, Abraham in believed in order that he might become the father of many nations according to that which has been spoken. So shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, 
being fully assured that what God had promised, God was able to perform. Therefore, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's just not what happened in Abraham's case. He fell on his face and laughed to God. He did one crazy thing after another. He had sex with his maid. He showed a life that never believed in God. But what does God say about him? In hope against hope, he hoped. And he grew strong in faith because God remembers all those horrible things that Abraham did no more. He remembers the things that would embarrass Abraham no more. Your sins and lawless deeds, I remember no more, Abraham. Then it goes on to say, this analogy was written for us who are to believe. In other words, for us, we read this description of Abraham after we know what a Yahoo Abraham was, and this description gives us peace, a feeling of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit because we know that we are just like Abraham. We mess up every day, all day, and all the time. But the good news is, is God is saying about us, man, he was so strong in faith and he had so much control over his tongue And he was the hardest worker, even though you feel like the laziest person on the planet, God's still going to see you as the hardest worker in town. It's a beautiful analogy here. It's meant to give us a whole lot of peace. And it's meant to describe how God is honoring his part of this new covenant. He said, I'll remember your sins and lawless deeds no more. And here in the New Testament, that's exactly what you see. He did not remember Abraham's sins and lawless deeds at all. It was as if they weren't there. He caused things that did not exist as though they did exist. He said, Abraham grew strong in his faith and he was unwavering in unbelief. That's calling things that do not exist as though they exist. And he's going to do the same for you and the same for me, thank God. Because in my case, he has to do that for me. And I'm sure you feel the same that he has to do that for you. Well, he is going to do that for you. He's going to remember your sins and lawless deeds no more. And he's going to speak about you just like he spoke about Abraham. And it's such a beautiful little section of scripture if we can understand it for what it's telling us. It's telling us, look, you guys, just like Abraham was a Yahoo, but I did not consider any of the dumb things that he did. I remembered them no more. I'm gonna do the same for you. He was just an example for you to dig on. 
we say that again, he was an example of how God sees people just so you could dig on it and apply it to yourself. It is truly good news of glossial proportion. But it does bring up questions. Let's, let's ask ourselves one, then why should we pray? Why do we need to pray? What is prayer all about? Why do we need to pray if God already knows our thoughts before we even pray them, like it says in the Gospel of John? Or why should we pray if the Bible tells us that he has an eternal plan and it's all planned out and that everything lives according to that plan? Why should we pray? Why should we pray if God has already let you down a hundred times and you don't feel like he answers your prayers any at all, any way. Why should we pray? What What's the reason? What's the motivation? As the director tells an actor, hey, your motivation is supposed to be this and this is why you're praying now in this scene. Why are we praying in the scenes that we live in? That's the question I want to look at today because we have scriptures such as 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that says, Pray without ceasing, rejoice always, give thanks in every circumstance, for this is the will of God. And in this case, it means this is the standard of God. The, the will of God can be what he wants to happen. The will of God can be the plan that he has put forth, put into motion, and the will of God can be his standards for us. It's all according to how the Bible uses this word, the will of God. There's a lot more to the idea of the will of God than we think about. I know I found out there was a lot more to the word will that I ever thought about in the beginning, way back 30 years ago when I would tell anybody and everybody, but we have a free will. We have a free will. Don't you know that? And on and on I would go, not having ever researched what I was saying, just saying it because I heard it. I've come to find out years later that it's better to research it first. Just don't say everything you hear. Go be like a Berean and see if it's true. And that's what I want you to do with everything we ever do or say on this podcast. Get into the Bible, grab your lexicons, look them up, look up the things that we are saying. Look up the definitions to see if the lexicon actually says what we just said it said. Look up the Bible verse to make sure it was saying what we said it said. But, okay, so we're going back to the question, why do we pray? Why does the 21st century Christian pray? And we know that all the Captain Obvious answers are so that we can get what we want, so that we can get through certain situations, so that God will move on our behalf, 
and on and on it goes. And as we mature, we end up realizing that we depend on him for every breath that we take. We depend on him for every move we make. We depend on God. And I'm telling you, the older you get, the more real that idea becomes when you're young and just invincible with your body running on all cylinders just perfectly. It's a little harder to see how much you depend on God. But when you're like me, where it's hard to tie your shoes anymore and just getting bent over and getting those shoes tied is an answer to prayer because you're going, Lord, please let me tie these shoes without being in a lot of pain. I've got several herniated discs and I depend on God for simple little things like tying my shoe. Okay, we realize that those are all Captain Obvious answers, but why would God have man pray to him? That's a better way of phrasing the question that I want to get to. Why does God tell us to, cause us to, and allow us to have the privilege of praying to him because it is a privilege. I don't know where it'd be if I thought I, I couldn't pray to God that he turned his nose up at me and wouldn't listen to me and just didn't want to hear anything I have to say because I am one of those people that, as Thessalonians and Ephesians say, I am one of those people that pray without ceasing all day long I am talking to God. I talk to God between each and every traffic light as I'm going out the door, as I'm coming back home from the door, until I start talking to a physical person, I am there talking to God all day long, all day long. That's how my thought process goes. It wasn't always like that, I'll, I'll tell you this. In the beginning, it was, I, I pray to you when I need something, which is a-okay to do. Praying for something when you need something is the highest form of flattery to God. It's what he put us on this planet to do, is serve us. You do realize God is the servant of all, right? Who is the greatest of all? The greatest of all is the servant of all. God is the greatest, therefore God is the servant of all. I, I believe that was in Matthew, up, up around 17 or 18 that God said that. But that's his desire is to serve us. And don't ever let anybody tell you that, oh, it's a bad thing just to come to God when, when you want something. Because every day, every minute, constantly, you need something from God. And not to think that you need to pray for it is a type of arrogance that is at the highest level. Every minute, we need everything from God. We're, we don't accomplish anything unless God works through us 
to accomplish it. Like it said in, in Psalms, you have done the works of our hands. You have done the works of our hands. He has done all the work that you have ever done. That's why Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace towards me was not in vain because I labored harder than all the rest. Yet it wasn't me laboring. It was the grace of God laboring in me. You see, he has done the works of our hands. So when we are fixing to try and accomplish the task for the day, naturally, we have to ask him to do this through us. We depend on him. That is what the new covenant is about. I'll put my spirit in them and cause them to walk a life that shines. My spirit does that. My spirit causes that. That's the new covenant I made. I will put my spirit on you, in you, and you will learn to depend on the spirit that I have put in you. And the more you begin to depend on that spirit, the more you begin to pray until you're ultimately, like me, praying all day long because I'm just talking to God. He's my silent friend. He's my invisible friend now. And it's just a natural thing for me to talk to him all day long. But that still hasn't answered the question of why there is such a notion of prayer. And I believe if we can get to the answer, you'll be amazed. I bet you it is a little bit bigger than you could have ever imagined. That This picture is ginormous compared to what we can imagine would be the reason God instituted prayer or even gave us the idea to pray. But with that in mind, let me go to a couple scriptures. But while I'm getting there, let me just point out that it does feel good to pray. It's comforting. You feel more comforted to pray. You feel like you're safer knowing that you've got a big, big God that can take care of things that you're not able to conquer. It does feel good to do that. It's, it's got its benefits, but that's not the reason why we pray. The answer to the why we pray question is very much the reason why God started the church to begin with. Started a new community of people that realized we were no longer under the law because we couldn't handle it. So God released us from the burden, made up a community of us who know that we've been released from the burden, and it's called the church, and that is what we are. We are the church, and hopefully because of this new covenant, we are not, let me say it like this, Hopefully, because we have learned the gist of the new covenant, 
we are not still trying to get the job done with our human effort. And I'll cite the verse as I have so many times. Oh, foolish Galatians, after having begun with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain the goal by human effort? We're supposed to have learned better than that. And if we haven't learned better than that, then we are still foolish Galatians. But we have learned to let the Spirit do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And that's why I want us to go to John chapter 11. But as we're getting there, I just want to remind each and every one of you that all the righteous requirements of the law will be fully met by us who do not walk according to human effort, but walk according to the Spirit's power, Romans 8, 4. It teaches us to walk by the Spirit's power and not our determination. That is what the nation of Israel was chosen. You realize that the nation of Israel was the chosen people, but they were chosen to prove the point for 2,000 years that humans cannot operate at the level that the spirit can operate. There's just a huge difference. The spirit does it better. And that's what Israel was chosen to prove, that our best human effort is not as good as the worst job that the spirit can do. There's still a, a mile of difference between the two. So keep that in mind as we look at, at John chapter 11, maybe starting in verse 11. I'll start in John chapter 11, verse 11, but let me just give you some background about the passage. It's the passage whereby Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And you remember it's a story about how Lazarus got sick. And Jesus was in another town ministering and Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus saying, Lazarus is really, really sick. Can you come and heal him real fast? And Jesus kept saying, I'll get there. I'm coming. I won't be late or anything. I'll, I'll get there. And indeed, Lazarus died. So this is what, where we pick up in verse 11 of chapter 11 of the book of John. And it says, this he said after he had said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of his sleep. The disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, why not just let him wake up when he wants to? Now Jesus had spoken of Lazarus' death but they thought he was speaking about literal sleep. Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus 
is dead. D-E-A-D, dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him now. And it goes on. He goes to Martha. She's crying. She says a few things. He says a few things. Then he gets to the temple, to, to, to the tomb. I'm sorry. He gets to the tomb and says, roll away the tomb. And they say, man, but he's going to stink to high heaven. And Jesus said, roll away the tomb. And then what does Jesus do? Let's look at exactly what he does in verse 40. John chapter 11, verse 40. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe you will see the glory of God. And Jesus said, remove the stone. So they did. And Jesus raised his hands and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me, past tense, and I knew that you heard me always. But because of the people standing around, I say it, that they may believe that you sent me. He's saying, I put my hands up in the air and I spoke to you. I was praying to you for a reason. It was for their benefit, for the people around me. I let them see me praying to you. I already knew that you had given me what I was requesting. So, right, you can say that God already knows everything that we're going to ask for, for, for. So why pray? Well, that same question could be asked of Jesus right now. If he already knew it, then why pray? He gave us the answer. He said, I pray for their benefit. I pray so that the people around me will learn something. Learn what? That I depend on you, Father. I depend on you, Father. I depend on you to work through me. Don't you know if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father believe because of the works that you see. If you've seen the works that I do, then you've seen the Father in, in John 14. Jesus is teaching them to keep their dependence on God and give God the glory for the good that happens in their life. Let me say that maybe 15 more times. God is teaching through Jesus Christ that everybody on the planet needs to pray to God just like Jesus was praying to God. That's why Jesus said, I can only do, can only do what I see the Father doing and saying. I can't say something unless it's the Father saying it through me. If you believe my words, then you believe the words of him who sent me because he is speaking through me. All those scriptures are adding up to the same idea that we depend on this 
Holy Spirit that is in us. And we can't do it ourselves, so we have to pray to the Father. And as we learn the same thing that the people that were standing around Jesus learned, and namely, they learned that Jesus was praying to the Father because he was depending on the Father to do for him what he couldn't do for himself. Those people around him were learning that we need to pray. The church needs to pray to the Father. Do what I can't do for myself for me. I depend on you. The church is supposed to be a community of believers that has a way of life in Christ Jesus, in the power of Christ Jesus working through them. Just like Paul said, this is my way of life in Christ Jesus, not in human performance. This is my way of life in Christ Jesus that I preach everywhere in every church. He, de- he preaches a message of dependency, a message of depending on Christ in him, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27, Christ in him, the hope of glory to live the Christian life for him. All the requirements of the law will be fully met by us who do not walk according to human effort, but walk according to the Spirit's power. Jesus was teaching that crowd to pray to God for the Spirit's power to pull off the miracle he was going to do in that day. And the church is supposed to learn through reading about the history of Israel, the chosen people, that they were chosen to prove that man is not capable of living an awesome Christian life, that it takes the Spirit of God in man to live an awesome Christian life. So the awesome Christian, the person living the awesome Christian life should be giving God the glory. Just like Peter said, it wasn't us or our piety that made this man walk, get up and walk, but it was God glorifying Jesus through us that made this man walk. They wouldn't take the credit for it because they knew they didn't deserve the credit because they knew it wasn't them. And that is what we, the church, are supposed to have learned. And this is what's gonna blow your mind. This is where it really gets real. This, oh man, if if I can just just say this, if I can just, just pray for me to boldly say what I need to say right out of Ephesians. I won't even say it. I'll read it. It's the passage itself that's telling you this revelation about why the church was formed and what the church is supposed to do. Man, this is going to blow your mind. It's absolutely going to blow your mind. You're going to see the big picture after this. You're going to see the big picture. This is going to show you the big picture of why God created this planet and why God has done the Mosaic Law for 2,000 years and chose those poor 
Jewish people to try and try and try as hard as they could to live the, the, a wonderful life only to f find out that they couldn't do it. So the covenant was destroyed. The covenant of human effort was destroyed and God said, I'll give you a covenant where I put my spirit in you and you depend on my spirit to do it through you. Whatever it is, you depend on my spirit to do it through you. And the church is supposed to have learned this. And here's where the picture gets big. You guys, Lord, just, just pray for me. Lord, I, I just pray to, to, to give this passage the, the emphasis it, it needs to be. Lord, Lord, you, you know that it literally shakes me up to do this, but I, I'm going to show this passage, Father. You're going to show this passage, Father. So please, Lord, please speak through me clearly and precisely. As you know, I should preach the gospel. You preach it through me clearly and concisely. You point to these scriptures and read them, Lord, for me, knowing that I'm half blind. Okay, here we go. I'm, I'm just going to go for it, you guys. I'm, I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to start it in the beginning of the chapter, although our answer is down in verse 10 or so. But, but I need to read the beginning because Paul is talking of, about this mystery that we've been talking about all night long, about the reason why we pray that he says it was hidden for generations and generations. It was hidden, but now the answer has been revealed through the apostles and prophets speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit. But let, let me just go. Let me, let, let me pray for me that I can do this, Father. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, for if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, you've heard of this grace that God gave me to be a good steward of for the sake of you guys who are Gentiles that I have come to preach and teach my way of life in Christ Jesus. You've heard that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery that I wrote briefly about before. This mystery which has not been allowed to be revealed till now. Till now. And by referring to this, the mystery, when you read, you can understand my insight into this mystery of Christ. He's naming the mystery, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Christ in whom are hidden all mysteries. And I'm referring to Colossians that says that. Okay, you, you can gain understanding and insight into this mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed 
to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. The spirit has revealed this mystery that's been hidden for generations and generations. It's been hidden. And it's our purpose for being a church. It's our purpose for being on this planet. We were chose for a purpose and Paul is going to tell us what it is. This purpose that every since Adam and Eve came on the planet, this purpose has been working itself out to come to this one conclusion and there's a reason for it. But he, he goes on to say, okay, it was revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit to be specific, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promises in Christ through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and here we go guys here we go and to bring to light what is the unraveling or showing or unveiling of this mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things in order here here we go it's getting let out of the cats getting let out of the bag in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now, finally, now, be made known through who? who? Who does this mystery get known through? Through the church. And who does the mystery get known by? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenlier realms in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying through the church who has learned this dependency on God and to pray, God help me out with this day. Live your life through me this day. I am your vessel. Live your life through me, Lord. Live your life through me, I pray, Lord. I pray, Lord. I pray that you will live your life through me and I can experience heaven on earth because I can experience you manifesting yourself through me. This is what I'm addicted to and I'm dependent on and I talk about all day and when I'm not manifesting, I'm asking you to let me manifest this because I am a church member and the church as a whole knows this way of life in Christ Jesus that Paul taught everywhere in every church and we all understand it now it's a way of life in which Christ lives out his life through us 
and it makes us blossom as Christians and the church has learned this and the church is not being legalistic anymore and not trying to obey a bunch of rules and not rededicating itself and not relying on its discipline but the church is relying and depending on the spirit of God the only one who can get it done the creator of the universe is the only one who can take care of the universe and he does it through us the church and the church is praying and just just like Jesus says I don't pray for my own behalf I pray for on behalf of the people who are around me so that they can learn. The church doesn't pray on its own behalf, but it prays so that the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms can learn what the church has learned, that the rule is a bigger picture than we ever thought. It's all about the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It's not about this puny planet. It's about all the planets and all the suns and all the stars and all the moons and the black holes. They're all in the position they're supposed to be because they depend on God to keep them there, that the universe has order because it's dependent on God to keep it there. But all these universes depend on God to keep it there and all the rulers and authorities in the angelic realms are learning through the church the people that have been given the grace and depend on the grace the rulers and authorities the angels have learned to depend on God's grace to make them be the best angels they can be through the church that's why Paul said the grace was given to me to preach this the grace was given me to preach this stuff the grace was given to me to preach that through the church the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms are learning that's why in 1 Peter 1 starting mainly in verse 9 it could say that though we do not see him we know him but we believe in him and we greatly rejoice with an inexpressible joy full of glory obtaining the outcome of our faith the salvation of our minds the salvations of our mind when our mind is torturing us after we've had a bad day the outcome of our faith about the good news of what God did for us through Christ it saves our minds from the anguish of believing that God is mad at us when the truth is his sins and deeds God chose to remember no more thank you Lord that is a great amount of mercy that you gave us that you our sins and lawless deeds remember no more because I try so hard to, to please you Lord and, and I can't help it I just fall short I fall short and I try again and I fall short and I try again and I fall short and I fall short and I fall short and thank you that, that you said the, those failures you won't remember they're just human failures they're, they, they were meant to prove to us that we have to depend on the spirit so there's no reason for you to remember them no more thank you for that glorious gospel and that glorious new covenant 
that's that's why it could say the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our minds and then go to first peter 1 10 the next verse as to this salvation the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you what did they do they made careful search and inquiry seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ in them in those prophets the spirit of Christ in those prophets in the Old Testament 2,000 years before Jesus was born in those prophets the spirit of Christ in them was indicating that Christ would suffer and then there would be glory to be re- to follow in those prophets way back then they were searching as hard as they could to find out about this grace that was going to be given to us this grace that does for us what we can't do for ourselves this grace that makes us better people this grace that as you're beginning to see the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms are learning that it makes them better angels will get a load of this lord help me again lord help me again here i go again lord help me just read just read the passages if i can just muster up the courage to read the passages it goes on to say after it said they were seeking to know what person or time the spirit of christ was in them was indicating as he predicted the spirit of christ predicted the sufferings of christ and the glories to follow it was revealed to them the old testament prophets that they were not serving themselves but you dear brother they were serving you the prophets back then that were predicting the sufferings of christ in the old testament were doing it for you that means they were doing it for me they were doing it for us and then it goes on to say let's see it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which have now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit's power sent from heaven. Things that, what does it say? Things, what does it say next? What does it say next? Are you ready for this? Things that angels long to see. They long to look at it. It's it's literally things that angels stand on tippy-toe trying to look in at the grace of God that was given on us that we rely on to live the best Christian life possible. We rely on the grace of God to do that, and that is why we pray to God. And through the church and us praying to God, the angels sit there and they stand on tiptoe longing to see this grace that we're praying about, learning about this grace through us and our prayers. And what a 
big picture that is. See, it's not just us and the end result about all that God did was for us and everything. It's for the entire universe. The entire universe depends on what the church teaches it. We're teaching the entire universe to depend on God because then the entire universe will function properly. It takes God to make this universe function. We can't do it. Our government can't get our taxes right. We're, we're far from being able to do what God can pull off, but we need to learn that, and then we need to teach the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms that amazing revelation that it's in him we live and move and breathe and have our being. In him we live and move and breathe and have our being. Should I say it again? No. He holds all things together in every possible way. There's not a maverick molecule in the entire universe. He knows them all and where they're supposed to be and he keeps them in place and the angels through us are learning this lesson. And you hear all the things about where people talk about the angels were swept out of the sky and there was this big dispute up in heaven. Well, they're learning through the church, through you and I, just like they learned through Jesus that day, he put up his hands and said, Father, I already know that you've given me this, but for their sake, I'm going to let them see me praying to you. Well, for the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, let them see that Steve depends on God. Steve prays to God. All you rulers and authorities, I'll just tell you point blank. I pray to God and I depend on him to make me the best person I can be so that I can live in harmony with all the people around me, with my wife and boss and everybody that I come in contact with. I pray to him to make me live in harmony with them and that's why I pray day in and day out. I start my day talking to God and saying, okay, here comes the right shoe. Now help me tie that right. Okay, you did that. Good. I'm going to go off to breakfast. Can you prevent me from burning the toast? And then I just go on to the next thing. I'm going to the bathroom. Don't let me cut myself while I'm shaving. And You know, I should be saying, and give me the breath to breathe while I'm shaving because it all depends on him. Everything depends on him. And we are teaching more than just each other this eternal truth which was accomplished in Jesus. And that's the rest of Ephesians 3, verse 11. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which was carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was an eternal purpose that God had for Christ to do. That means it 
his purpose started before Adam and Eve in the creation of the world and keeps going after the last person has breathed his last breath on the planet. Jesus will still be accomplishing God's eternal purpose, purposes throughout the ages of ages times the ages of ages multiplied by the ages of ages. Jesus will still be accomplishing through that, but what a privilege it is that he accomplishes it time to time through us. And we are the vessel that he uses. He doesn't use the rocks. He said he could make the rocks cry out if nobody would praise him. Well, he doesn't use the rocks. Sometimes he uses me and I'm so privileged to be the vessel that he uses. And I think it could begin to dawn on you as to what kind of awesome, beautiful privilege it is for God to manifest himself through you, to use you as the vessel that the, him, the God of the universe, moves through and breathes through and encourages people through and ministers through you to everyone around you. That's why it says, count it all joy when you face troubles of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith can produce perseverance and produce per perseverance produces on and on it goes. And then it says, and you'll be perfect, lacking nothing after this faith, which we know from 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9, this faith is literally a manifestation of the spirit. That's what faith literally is. Faith is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That's what faith is, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9. Just look it up for yourself. It'll tell you point blank. Faith is the manifestation of the Spirit. And we can count it all joy when we face trials, knowing that the trial is either going to bring out a manifestation of Steve, which would let the people around him down, or we could possibly have the privilege during that trial to manifest Jesus, who doesn't let anybody down. We can experience Jesus in us when we're facing the trials. So when the trials come, just realize it, it could cause Jesus to be operative in your life that day for an hour. You could be experiencing Jesus, the God of the universe. Or, you know, sadly to say for an hour, you might experience, I would be experiencing Steve, the, the guy who tries so hard man a lot many times during the day I experience Jesus and I know it and I feel it for the privilege that it is and you can feel it too and just realize you can teach the rulers and the angels who stand on tippy toe looking down at this grace you can teach them to depend on the grace of God 
for living the Christian life. Man, you guys, you know I don't feel like closing right now, but I guess I have to. I guess I have to. I, I don't want to. I could speak about God's love and His grace and the idea that you can feel His grace and you can share His grace and you can speak to God through people when they're in the Spirit and they can speak to God through you when you're in the Spirit and you can have fellowship spirit to spirit instead of flesh to flesh. You know I don't want to stop talking about what the Bible has revealed to us as human beings. I love talking about this revelation because it is such good news. But because of time restraints, we do live here on terra firma, and there is a day and then there's a night, and there is a thing called time, and for today we've run out of it. So I'll close in prayer saying, Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, please make what you said clear to everyone out there. You have to finish it off, put the icing on the cake by filling each person who listens to this podcast with a spirit of wisdom and revelation with the mind of Christ is called in 1 Corinthians 2. The mind of Christ, which is our wisdom, says in earlier in 1 Corinthians 2 that Christ has become our wisdom. And it says in Colossians that all the treasures of wisdom can be found in Jesus Christ. Father, please give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation known as the mind of Christ so that we can listen to the podcast and and comprehend the magnitude of the miracles that sometimes you talk about in your holy living book. And it's in your son's name I give you all the glory. Amen. Amen. And I say good night to all you guard dogs. I love you guys. I really do. I love you guys. I want the best for you. Bill and I pray for you all the time. Bill couldn't make it. You know why? Because we're having a hurricane. That's right. He couldn't get over here because of the flood that the hurricanes cause and the winds are well, right down the road, the winds are 150 miles an hour, but ours are at least 40 in just rain and rain and rain and tornadoes popping out of the clouds. And I can't believe my electricity is still on, but it's on for this podcast. And I give you thanks for that, Father. And I say good night to all you guys. Love you guys. Amen. Good night.